on verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, I just realized I've never noticed that when, when Ryan said 1 John 3.16, it's so easy to hear John 3.16, and I thought that's pretty great. That's there's something magical about 3.16. Um, the gospel in John 3.16, right, for God so loved the world, he gave his one only son, and the gospel in 1 John 3.16, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. I've never seen that. Who would have thought? Um, I was going to go into some weird like numerology code thing in the Bible that would send you off in some really appropriately concerning ways. Um, good to see you all. Um, we are in John's first letter this fall. We have three more weeks. We'll finish this letter and then go into our Thanksgiving service on December 1st. And it's been a great journey so far. Um, if you haven't been around too much, I want to remind you of... Uh, what John is doing in this short letter. Uh, he writes for this reason. This is First John chapter 5. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's writing these identified Christians to give them a sense of confidence and assurance that they, they truly do have eternal life, that the eternal life that they long for is actually at work in them. And so this book lays out, here's some ways that you can know, that, that, you, that you can have a confidence and an assurance that, yes, indeed, you are an authentic believer in Jesus, and eternal life is at work in you. You have fellowship with Jesus and his, and his Father. And I, had, I was thinking of an analogy this week of like our lives as a tree. And you know, with a tree, you have the roots and you have the fruits, right? And uh, in terms of having a sense of confidence and assurance that we have eternal life, there's kind of two ways that we could approach that. One would be to look at the roots of our lives and ask the question, are our lives rooted in these deep gospel truths of God's grace and, and the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins, the forgiveness we have, and salvation by faith? These deep theological truths that we're rooted in, that, that trusting in those can give us an assurance uh, that we are believers, that we have eternal life. The other way to go about that would be to look at the fruits of our life, to look practically at how we are living our lives. Are we loving? Are we patient? Are we kind? Are we joyful? Are we seeing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? And if we see that, that can give us a sense also of assurance. And for better or for worse, John's approach in this letter is almost entirely to look at the fruit. 
Okay? He doesn't do a lot of looking at the roots, which is so important and valuable, but he wants to look at the fruit of our lives, the practical, tangible, day-to-day outworking of our lives. And he says, if you want to know, your life should look a certain way. And that's what makes John's letter a bit challenging to us. Because personally, I'd rather hide behind theology. And John doesn't let us hide behind theology in this letter. He's got a lot of theology in his gospel, but in this letter, he's almost entirely practical. He's like, I want, to, I want to see if the fruit of the Spirit is at work in your life. And if it is, that can give you a great sense of confidence and assurance that, yes, you are, in fact, the real deal. That, that the Spirit is at work in you. That Jesus, the Jesus life is at work in you. And the greatest fruit that John focuses on in this book, it's not the only one, but the most common one he talks about is the fruit of love. That are we living lives of love? That is his big test in this letter, for authentic Christian living. God is love. And so how do you, want, how do you know if you are in God, in him? You, you live a life of love. And that's what he is talking about in our passage today. It's all about love. In fact, the next two weeks is going to be all about love. I'm going to preach a sermon today, and I'm going to preach the exact same sermon next week. Okay? Because that's what John does. Chapter 3, he preaches a sermon. Chapter 4, he preaches the exact same sermon. I promise the, no- the illustrations will be different. It'll, you know, it'll be clo- you know, different enough. You want to come back next week. Um, but really, two weeks on love. And I, you know, this is so easy to say, but so easy to forget the big picture of our lives. That, that the essence of the Christian life is love. That that is the the fundamental command, it's the most important command, it's the primary command, every other command is fulfilled in the commandment to love. And so John focuses on love. John was with Jesus the night before Jesus died in the upper room, where Jesus focused so much of his final words on this theme of love. I wanted to give you these two famous passages from the upper room, John 13. As I have loved you, so you now must love one another. By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The distinguishing mark, Jesus says, uh, that I want you to have in this world, that people look at this mark and say, oh, those were Jesus people. The distinguishing mark is the love that you guys have for one another. The way you treat each other, the way you sacrifice, that is how people will know. There's other things that they can know too about you, but this is the main way. And then in chapter 17, This is Jesus' final prayer for his disciples before he dies. And he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for people like us who would come to faith through the disciples, down through the ages. And this was what was on his heart to pray for us. I pray that all of them may be one, Father. I think that's another way of saying that they would love each other. Just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they be brought to complete unity together that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, the same theme. Their unity, their love for one another will be the most convincing thing to the world that I am who I said I was, that you, Father, actually sent me and I bring salvation. It's by the way they love one another. And so it's pretty, pretty simple, but pretty profound. It's so easy in the midst of our lives and we're reading all the scripture and we're doing all these things to lose sight of like, this is kind of the heart of it. <laughs> Is, that, is how we treat one another. That is the biggest witness we offer to the world. And so we're going to talk about love today. Um, I just want to acknowledge, I feel honestly a little sheepish, a little humbled talking about love today for a couple reasons. One, because verse 18, 
explicitly says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And I'm going to just talk about love today, Um, which is the easiest thing to do regarding love is to talk about love. And that's all I'm going to do. So I feel um, I'm just acknowledging that. Um, and I, I, maybe a little more personally, in the last couple years, uh, more than ever in my life, I have been confronted with the limitations of my own love. Like I've been um, just more aware of, uh, of who I've always been um, that I didn't realize until I hit my 40s. Uh, but my, my inability to love people well, often, uh, whether that's friends or my kids or my wife or, or family members or people in the community that, that I have been confronted multiple times in the last couple of years uh, with a posture that is more self-absorbed than I realized it was through my life, that is much more self-protective uh, and keeping to a kind of safe, comfortable, I have my schedule and I'm going to keep to my schedule and not let things kind of get in the way of that. Uh, and my inability to sustain uh, ongoing care and love for people who are going through hard times, even if they're good friends, like a failure of love. And I, I felt that more um, ev- than ever before. And I think it's always been there. I just am seeing it more. So I, I want to just say that. It feels funny to talk about this without acknowledging that. Um, so all that to say, I, there's, there's a, I think there's a humility that I bring to the fact that I'm going to talk for 30 minutes about love. Um, and that's not, the heart, that's not the essence of love. It's the doing of it that counts. And, and so I want to I start by just having you take a minute, and I want you to think, uh, when was the last time you were loved well? Now, I just want to get that in our, in our minds. Um, it might be by a family member or by someone in this room, by someone that was surprising. But I want you to just think for a second. When was the last time you felt really loved by somebody? And I want you to think, through what is it that they did? Um, or what is it they said? Or what, you know, what, what was it about their presence or their interaction that was particularly loving. So just take a moment and identify, like, ah, that was, that happened and that happened. When was the last time you felt particularly loved? That's perfect. A little little Jeopardy music to give you a second. Um, So just be be thinking about the dynamics of what love feels like, what, what love is. Um... And then we'll also throw out, at the end, I'm going to give you some space to process, you know, where's God maybe inviting me into a situation where I can really express love? And so even right now, there, there might be like a person that's on your heart or a situation that's, that's on your heart and, and um, that you have an opportunity to love. And I want you to bring that into the next 30 minutes. Just let that be in the background as, you, as we kind of look at what John has to say about love, all right? All right, so here's what I want to do. Uh, three things that John does. First, uh, let's talk about um, the love of Jesus. Uh, then second, this call to love like Jesus. And then third, the joy and the confidence and assurance that can come in our lives when we, in fact, do love like Jesus. All right? So let's look at the love of Christ, our call to love like Christ, and then the confidence that comes from loving like Jesus. So let's look at the love of Jesus first. Um, Verse 16, take a look in your Bibles. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Okay? Eight words. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That is the gospel. It's so easy for that. Those eight words to go in one ear, out the other, because we've heard it a thousand times, right? 
Um, but this is, the, this is the essence of the good news. This staggering love of Jesus that laid down his life for us. And so I want us to, to not let that just, just go right through our heads today as much as possible. And to be reminded again of the love of Jesus. And I was just thinking this week, like, what, what defined his love? If I could, like, what was the, the key marks of the love of Jesus. And there were two that came to my mind as I just thought about his ministry in life, and they were this. One, compassion, and two, sacrificial action. It kind of marked, that defined the essence of his love as this heart of compassion for people that moved him to sacrificial action. So I just want to give you a couple examples. I love this scene in Matthew 9 um, where Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee, and some of the villagers are coming in crowds towards him. And Jesus is looking at these crowds coming. And it's kind of this ragtag group of, you know, fishermen and blue-collar folks. And people who have experienced poverty, they're being oppressed by the Romans. And they don't, you know, they're just kind of ordinary folks living broken, ordinary lives. And Jesus is watching them. And I love this description of him. It says, when he saw the crowds, and here's that word, compassion, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that word compassion, the, the Greek word it has in it the word guts. So in ancient Greek, apparently when you feel compassion, your guts are moved. So a literal translation, he was moved in his guts for these people. Today we talk about the heart. We would say he saw these people and his heart just went out to them. There was a movement within him of compassion, of pity, of, of passion for these people. And when you think about Jesus' earthly ministry, you just see so many examples of Jesus' compassion for individual broken people. I mean, you think about like the, the story of the woman at the well. Right, this woman who comes to a well, the Samaritan woman, uh, at the heat of day, she has five broken marriages, five She's on her sixth relationship. And Jesus, in this conversation in John 4, he, you just see this great compassion that he has for this woman who's had a really tough life. Or you think of the man with leprosy, this guy who's got this, this terrible skin disease that, that makes him become ostracized from his community socially. He's, he lives in a place of shame and isolation. And you see Jesus moved with compassion and putting his hands on someone who hasn't been touched, you know, for maybe decades because of this disease. I was thinking of the story of Martha and Mary, these friends of Jesus, and their brother Lazarus who dies. And Jesus comes after Lazarus died. He comes to this house of mourning and engages these two women. And his heart is moved with compassion for his friends. And he breaks down and weeps over what they're experiencing in the loss of their brother. Or the, or the garrison man who was by the Sea of Galilee, who's this guy who had been oppressed by a legion of demons and had been completely isolated from his community, completely disintegrated as a personality. And Jesus steps in and he has great compassion on this man. He delivers him and he integrates his life again. He clothes him. He gives him back to his community. See, in the love of Jesus, this man who just steps into the mess, the ordinary mess of, of human life, and his guts are moved. His heart goes out to people. And with that movement of the heart, there then becomes that second movement of sacrificial action for people, right? His heart moves him to do very sacrificial things, to as our passage say, says, lay down his life. So he looks at these people, says, ah, oh, they need a shepherd. And I was thinking of what Jesus says in John's gospel. He says, I'm the good shepherd. 
I want to be a shepherd for these people. And he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's the same word he uses in, in 1 John 3.16 here. There's a laying down. And again, if you, we could just study the life of Jesus. And you see time and time again, Jesus choosing to lay himself down or, or lay aside certain things in order to meet a, a real human need. So sometimes what he lays down is, um, is comfort and convenience, right? Like you'll, you'll watch him in the Gospels and he'll be ministering to people into, late into the night, healing people, teaching people, listening to people. And you, you know he's exhausted. You know he, he would love to just go home and, and watch some Netflix for a little bit, right? But he's laying aside his comfort, his convenience, in order to love people. You see him uh, laying aside his agenda, his plans for the day. You read Luke's gospel, and half the stories start while Jesus was on the way. While Jesus was on the way, and you have a sense he's, he's on his way to a village. He's going, he has a plan to go somewhere. And while he's on the way, someone interrupts him. Some need comes into his, his world, and he chooses to lay aside whatever plan he had, uh, whatever schedule he had, in order to minister to the need. He lays aside his agenda, his, his schedule, his plans. Um, you see him regularly lay aside his reputation. You have people enter into his, his, uh, his presence who are these people of ill repute, who are on the outs with the respectable community, and Jesus has this decision, well, I engage this person or not, engaging them will put me on the outs, and every time he chooses to deliberately engage these pe- people and associate with them in ways that he has to lay aside his reputation with, with the respectable you know, Jewish community of the day. He lays aside his safety, but he puts himself in really dangerous situations in order to love. And then ultimately, as John is saying here, he lays aside his life, right, at the cross. He literally lays down his life in order to love us. Paul says it this way, famously, Philippians 2, he kind of summarizes Jesus' whole life from when he was you know, eternal God in heaven to becoming a human being and ministering to people. And here's how he describes it. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with, with God as something to cling to. Instead, he laid aside his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant and was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. It is this compassionate heart that moves him towards towards sacrificial action, this sacrificial laying himself down. That is the love of Christ. It is the opening of the heart and is the laying down of the self for the other. And John, back to our passage in verse 16, he says, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love looks like. It's this. I think it's just helpful to, to remind ourselves in the culture we live in right now, this is helpful to remind ourselves, this is what love looks like compassion and sacrificial action because today our culture looks at this idea of love right think about what the culture when you use that word love love has been so trivialized in today's society or even just sexualized right in today's society when i use the word love i more mean like i'm in love um like i love my wife okay um i love chocolate i love the lakers i love you know room service i love Led Zeppelin, you know, you name it, right? We, when we use the word love now, we kind of mean, I'm in love. We mean engaging with this thing fills my heart up. It, it, I like the feelings I have when I'm with this thing. That's what, that's what the culture means by love. 
And so it's so helpful to be reminded. John says, no, no, no. This is what love looks like. Love is not the filling up of the heart. Love is the pouring out of the heart and the pouring out of the self for others in need. And Jesus demonstrates it. Such a different kind of love. And then just before I move on, I was struck this week at the end of our phrase, Jesus Christ laid down his life. These two little words. How does that end? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. I was struck by the personal language of that. For us. That Christ's love is not just a generalized love for the world, though it is that too. But it is a, it is a specific love for us. The Apostle Paul uses the same language. Paul never even met Jesus before Jesus was resurrected. And yet he'll say, Jesus Christ loved me and he gave himself for me. He's able to personalize that. And I think until we are able to personalize that vast love of Jesus, obviously it's not going to come home to us. And we're invited in scripture to do that. This Jesus who has this big heart and compassion, he has that heart for me. I have experienced that love personally for me. I was thinking of Jesus' maybe most famous parable about compassion and sacrificial action, which is the the parable of the um, Good Samaritan. Let me just read this for a second, and then I want to make this personal, okay? So here's Jesus' description. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, I skipped a couple things here, um, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. His guts were moved on him, and this compassion leads to radical action. Uh, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him, right? This description of compassion and action. But I think what needs to happen in each one of us is we need to see the story of the Good Samaritan and ultimately be able to say, that's my story. That's, That's not just a story. That's my story. I was the person left for dead on the side of the road. Because spiritually, that was the situation I was in. I was spiritually broken and and messy and left for dead. And then Jesus Christ came walking by my life at some point. And his heart was moved. His guts were moved for me. And that compassion led him to do a very sacrificial thing, which was to lay down his life for me. That story is my story spiritually. I think we have to get to that place and if the love of Christ is truly going to transform us. All right, so that's the love of Christ. I know there's so much more that could be said that feels so inadequate, what I just said, but um, it touches on the love of Jesus. Secondly then, and this is John's main point, is our call to love like Jesus, right? Pretty obvious. Again, look at verse 16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so... We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We're to love the way Jesus did. And we're to do that for our brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, just so you know, that's the language of fellow uh, Jesus followers, right? Those who are in the family of God. Those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what John is talking about here. We are to offer that same kind of love for our brothers and sisters. Jesus has this kind of love. And so the Jesus community should demonstrate that kind of love with one another. That's how the world's going to know. 
We ought to lay our, our lives down the way Jesus laid down his life for us. And then, again, John doesn't like to stay in the theoretical. He gives a very practical example. Look at seven, verse 17, 18. This is where it kind of gets real in case you're, you know, if we're staying uh, hypothetical here. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, well, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. He gives a very tangible example of someone who is in material need, okay? And let's assume that the need is real. It is legitimate. It's an authentic need. And John asks, I think, a very provocative, poignant question, which is this. If you see a brother or sister in material need, and again, it's a legitimate need, right? It's, this is, this is, helping them is not going to enable them. There's all sorts of issues around, but this is, a, this is a real need that someone has. You have the ability to meet that need with your material resources, and you choose to withhold that from them. He's saying, well, then how, how can the love of God be in you? How can the love of God be operative in your life in this moment? Well, it can't be because we just learned what the love of God is like. The love of God constantly pours itself out for others. And so if you're living a life where you're constantly withholding things from real legitimate needs, well, then how can that pouring out love of God be working itself in you? Well, it's, it's obviously not. It's pretty, I don't know about you, that's a pretty powerful, powerful uh, question. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he articulates the gospel in financial terms, in, in material money terms. Here's what he says. Well, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He says the gospel in financial terms is this. There was this really rich guy, and he saw a bunch of poor people. That's you and me. We're the poor people. And so he chose to give his riches in order to make these poor people rich. That's the gospel in financial terms. Of course, Jesus, his riches were spiritual in nature. So if that's what the gospel is, well, then how can the gospel be working in a person's heart if when they see real needs in their brothers and sisters that are authentic, real, and they're choosing not to do that, how can the gospel's not at work in them, right? And, and in this question, there's this really um, poignant phrase. You probably didn't pick it up in your translation, but look at verse 17 again. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, my translation says, but has no pity on them, or yours might say has no compassion on them, or the ESV translates it almost literally. It literally says, if you see a person in need and you close your guts to that person, or we would say closes the heart to that person. And he's describing something that every one of us in this room knows so well from experience, okay? And this is what it is. You see a need in the community. You engage with someone and you see, oh, there's a need. And there's, there's this initial, oh, I see. Your heart's like, I see there's a need. But then you do something and you close your heart to the need that was just presented to you. Okay? And you, you do it and it happens so quickly sometimes, you don't even realize what you're doing. But we close our hearts and, and there's various reasons why we might close our hearts to a person's real need, Right? Um, sometimes the need just feels overwhelming. Like, I see this, what this person's going through. It just, it feels overwhelming. That it, it feels so big, it's kind of a non-starter. So I just have to do this, because I, I can't even go there. It just feels too overwhelming. Is this, you guys with me right now? Right? Sometimes what closes our, our, our hearts is, is we actually think about what that would cost us to, to do that. Like, I see this, I do have compassion, but man, if I jump into this... <laughs> 
this is going to cost time. This is going to cost resources. This is going to cost um, my, you know, this is going to disrupt some things for me. And so I just, oh, I see the need, but mm, no, I'm going to do this. And sometimes the reason is, is maybe darker than those. It's I see the need, but there's something about this person that I, I just don't like, <laughs> right? There's a critical, uh, judgmental, or just annoying feeling that we have about this person. I get it. It's a real need. I see it. But I, I just have a hard time with this person. And so I close off, I close off the guts, <laughs> okay? I mean, this, this is real practical, right? This happens all the time in little and big ways. I mean, I'll, I'll give you like a classic Dave Gunlock example would be it's 3 p.m. on Friday. I'm in my office, okay? And I'm working on my sermon and I see someone walking through, one of you walking through the parking lot. Uh, and I know there's a, I know the need that is in your life at this time and you're going to walk through the front doors and I'm thinking, I know the need, I feel the need, but what I really want to do is leave her at five with a finished sermon, because I want to enjoy my Saturday Sabbath with my family, and I want to come back on Sunday and do my thing. And so I see the need, and the temptation is, is to do this, and, you know, it gets kind of ugly. I might, like, kind of pretend I'm not around, you know. I mean, I might go to the bathroom for an extended period of time, you know. I told you it's not going to be pretty today. Um, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's this closing of the heart when you see what the cost is. Now, that's a small cost. I mean, you guys might have an example of this, this. You might go out there in the, you know, on the patio after the service, and someone might be coming up to you, and you can see them coming, right? And you know the need, but there's something about that person that's hard for you, that, that annoys you, and so there's the closing of the heart, right? And sometimes the needs are big. You see someone's going through a real health crisis or you know, ma- massive marriage crisis, and and you just look and you're like, oh man, this feels so messy. And if I get involved, I don't know what that's going to cost. And so there's this, right? We almost do it without knowing we're doing it some, sometimes. Um, verse 20. Look at verse 20. John says this, if our hearts condemn us. Okay? Now I'll just tell you, verse 19 through 21 are notoriously challenging to translate. And certainly to even interpret. I'm not even going to go into all the depths of it, but my take is when he says, if our hearts condemn us, that's what he's referring to. That moment when there's a call to love, but there's a closing of the heart that condemns uh, the sacrifice that we ought to offer. I was was listening to this old school commentary. This is so convicting. He describes it this way. So there's a need presented to us, and then he says, a base, right, a bad thought arises in the heart of a Christian, which condemns the loving sacrifice as unnecessary and suggests that it can be avoided and that the love can be maintained apart from a definite surrender of life and goods, right? I so know that, Um, right? There's a rationalization of the heart that goes on. I I can still be loving and not, not engage in this particular loving moment, uh, and the problem is when we give our hearts over to that, then our, our love just becomes very measured, right? It becomes very safe and predictable. And our community is not going to look different than other communities. It will just be ordinary human love. And Jesus is saying, my vision is that your love would be very different. It would be different than the world's love. It would be, it'd be um, invitingly so, refreshingly so. So the, the author goes on, this impulse to you know, not do it, however, however natural, must be eradicated. The heart must be reasoned with and persuaded in the presence of God to make the sacrifice willingly. The call of God is greater than the base impulse of the human heart. This is called a lean in. Ah, I feel that. And so I was just thinking, man, 
We are called to love like Jesus. And every day our hearts are going to resist loving like Jesus. Um, And isn't that the battle? Isn't that the Christian battle right there? Isn't that the Christian journey every day? To feel this call and to feel our hearts and to wrestle with that. I mean, I'm just like, yep, that's my battle every day. So I want to leave you with the encouraging side of this, which is John wants to remind us that that when we do love like Jesus, that can lead to great joy and confidence and assurance in our lives, all right? And he says it in like four different ways in these chapters. So I just want to read these verses to you. These, this is an encouragement to lean into those things because there's, there's, there's joy and assurance on the other side of choosing to love like Jesus. So look at, um, look at verse 14. This is before the, um, the reading this morning, but close to it. Look at verse 14. He says this. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. When we love each other, when we experience ourselves loving each other, that's one of the ways that we can know that we have salvation because we're loving each other. It's evidence. It's fruit. Um, In our passage, verse 18, look at verse 18 into verse 19. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. As we truly love in action, that's, that's a way that we can see that we, we truly are of the truth. We can have confidence. Look at verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive him from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. When we obey his commands, when we love one another, we can have confidence in his presence that he's longing to answer our prayers. And then one more in chapter 4. Go to chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, The second half of verse 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This. This is how love is made complete among us. God's love made complete in us is what that means. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like Jesus. So when the love of God is made complete and are then giving that love to one another, that's what gives us confidence that when we stand before the Lord, we're not afraid of that day. Because in this world, we have been loving the way Jesus loves. So when we step out, when we push beyond the closing of the heart, we begin to experience ourselves loving the way Jesus loves. His spirit is prompting things in us, and we're stepping into what we're being prompted to do, and we're getting into messy situations that disrupt our schedules. It's a little crazy, but we're we're experiencing ourselves loving like Jesus, and that experience, John is saying, is self-authenticating. We see ourselves doing these things, and we realize we're the real thing. Not in a prideful way, but in a humble way. Like, oh my gosh, God, your spirit is truly at work in me. I'm loving the way Jesus loves. I'm laying down my life for my brothers and sisters. I'm finding joy in that. I have this great sense of confidence in that. And I I just want to say, you know, one of my great joys Uh, in my work here at Grace, is watching you all love one another well. And and I know we're not a perfect bunch here, and we make a lot of mistakes, but but you guys, I mean, we could have our leaders come up and just share story after story 
of you guys, the way you guys love each other. Well, in fact, I, I regret, if I could redo my sermon, I wouldn't preach. I would just have stories today, just stories of you guys loving each other well. But you guys, you guys love well. Um, I was thinking of the different ways you guys love. Some of you love so well just by being with another. When someone is going through a hard time, you just step in and you're just present. You're with them. You listen to them. You offer them like this hospitable space for them to process. You grab coffee with them. You visit them in the hospital. You have them over for meals at your house. You have this great love through simply being with. Some of you love so well by giving. Um, You're super generous with your resources, um, with your money, with your time. You're incredibly generous people. And you, I mean, we've cars and and homes and apartments have been passed through this community. Some of you are great, you know, you're, you're connectors and you, you find people jobs when they don't have jobs and you, you take time to make connections with the people that you know and you do all that. I mean, there's, there's so many ways. Some of you are, love well by speaking. You, you love through speaking challenging, hard, loving truth to one another. Um, but you guys, you guys love well and it's such a joy to be privy to these, these stories of just beautiful, you know, sometimes these will be under the radar, never known by anybody else, but these beautiful, sacrificial acts of love for one another. All right. So I want to just end, I want to take us back to this picture. We'll, We'll probably look at this picture again next week, my guess is. This is your life. And I, I, as you think about the love of Christ, I think about how you've been loved. Think about the opportunities you have. And I'm going to give you some space in a moment. But I, I want to leave you with these comments. I want to just paint two, two lives that, that one could live. Okay? Um, here's the first life. And both of these would be by professing Christians. Right? The first life would be to live a life where your heart regularly closes itself off to needs all around. You get in the habit of, of seeing something, going, ah, no, no, I don't. And you, you, you get in that default habit of regularly closing yourself off. And what I think happens is every, every act of selfishness, every act of, of um, self-protectiveness um, begins to erode our confidence in our faith that we really are truly God's children. And, and that happens. You're still going to church. You're still... Going to Bible studies, still going to small groups, um, but you don't experience yourself ever loving like Jesus. And so you look at your life and you, you, you don't really see the fruit. And so all you have to fall back on is the roots. And so you go, I, I know I'm a, I'm a Christian because I believe these things. God loves me. Christ died for me. And that, those are rock solid foundations. But that's really all you have to go back to, to have the sense of joy and confidence about your life. Or this other life, which is a life of compassion, of your heart being moved, and then you stepping into what your heart moves you to do, what the Spirit is prompting, where you regularly are laying yourself down in big and small ways um, for your fellow, fellow brothers and sisters. That is a life where you lose a sense of comfort or predictability or your, your plans will be disrupted regularly, right? You, things will, will happen differently. It's going to be messier. But what you will gain in that life is a great sense of assurance and joy that you really have eternal life living in you because the love of Jesus, you're experiencing it and it's being given to others through you. And you don't just have to rely on the roots. 
you look at the fruits of your life and go, I see a life of love. Not in a prideful way, in in just a beautiful way. Lord, you are at work. Your spirit is producing the fruit of the spirit, which is love. Those are the two lives that John is, is, is presenting before us. I encourage you this week to lean into this life where you will see the fruit of it in joy and confidence. Okay, so I want to leave you with a little bit of space to, to, um, to get practical here. Um, what's this? Oh, so I want to just, I want to leave you with three questions and then we're going to create a little space and then Ryan's going to come up and, and lead a time of prayer for us. So here's, here's the, the simple question. You've heard this. I've been talking generally. But as you look at your life right now, where's the opportunity to love like Jesus? And you may have already identified this earlier, but I I invite you to take some time right now. Is there a particular person who, you know, God puts on your heart? Um, It could be a family member. It could be your spouse. It could be a kid. Uh, It could be uh, someone in our church. Uh, It could be a neighbor. It could be anybody, someone at work. But Undoubtedly, there are people in your life right now that are going through things, but maybe God would put a particular person on your heart right now. Uh, And then second, what are you being asked to lay down in order to love? So Jesus laid down his life for us. Um, What are you being asked to lay down in order to love? And this will be the place where your heart is tempted to close off, right? Because it costs you something. But maybe try to get specific well, this is what it would cost me. It's going to cost me time. I'm going to have to lay down some time to love this person. Um, maybe I'm going to have to lay down some, some uh, preferences. Maybe I'm going to have to lay down a sense of entitlement. Maybe uh, there's some comfort and convenience. Maybe there's some resources I'm going to have to lay down. But this is probably going to cost me something. And get specific. What's it going to cost me? What will I have to lay down in order to love well? Control? You know, whatever. And then the last question would be this. Um, what are you being asked to give? How can I love them? What is it that I can give as an expression of love? It might be time. It might be just your attention and your hospitality. It might be resources. It might be giving some of your giftedness that you could express that in the way that would love them. It might be giving them words of affirmation and encouragement. It might be um, simply giving prayers on their behalf. All right? So I, I thought we could just take a little time, uh, about a minute or so, and just sit with these questions. All right? And Get tangible so that you kind of have a game plan moving out this, this week. Like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling, I really want to lean into this situation with this person. All right? So let's take some time. We'll prayerfully consider this. And then Ryan's going to come up and he's going to uh, lead us in a time of prayer um, for people in need. Right?